This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. All right, let's go back to John. We're in chapter 16. We've got a few more chapters to go, and then we'll get into something else after that. Through these uh, few chapters that we've been in recently, what we call the discourse, and it is Jesus teaching his disciples by themselves, just him and the disciples, and he has really been trying to let them know what's been going on with his ministry on the earth, with them, what their ministry is going to be, also what's going to happen in the near future. Of course, we know that we are very close now to uh, Jesus being betrayed and going to the cross. So he is really trying to equip these disciples and let them know some things that will help them because they're going through so many changes here. But I think, you know, as I studied this over again, uh, what I really came to a conclusion was that nowhere do you see verses in here that Jesus is saying, okay, disciples, I'm going to be leaving, so y'all just go back to doing what you were doing and forget about the ministry here because I won't be here, and so you just go on and do your own thing. So nowhere do we see that. But we see Jesus trying to encourage them, trying to let them know they're not going to be alone, trying to let them know that they do have a ministry and that they are to keep on keeping on. And, of course, we know the Great Commission is, is yet to come with them and the Holy Spirit indwelling them to help them. So, and likewise... As Christians today, we're the same thing. Jesus doesn't save, but we don't get saved and decide, well, that's just it, and we just uh, just sit around and wait for Jesus to come back again. So we are we are to fulfill the commission. We are to continue to stay busy. We are continue to do uh, what He has called us to do as well. So we got into John 16, and we got down to verse number 11. So let's pick up at verse number 12. <clears throat> I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. So remember here, after the, describing the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. It's going to say what the work is that the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. Christ now is going to continue to let them know that the Spirit's work is going to be in the disciples and it's going to help them. But the disciples were not ready spiritually at this particular point. They, they were not ready to accept all the things that Christ was wanting to tell them. And so Christ is going to do it in a way to try to kind of ease them into everything that is happening, everything that is going on, so they will understand it. So it is very important that they get to this to this place here uh, that they will understand. So he has a lot of things to say to them. 
Verse 13, how be it when he, notice in this particular verse the word he, how many times it shows up. How be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Who is he talking about with the word he? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So all of these things, all of these uh, jobs the Holy Spirit is going to do, and Christ is letting them know this, all these things. Now, it is very important, how be it when he, the Spirit of truth, will guide you into all truth. That word truth is important because the Spirit will guide. That means it will lead them, just like he leads us today and to a complete knowledge of all truth. You see, there's so many false things in the world today. We need the truth. We need to know the truth. We need to see the truth. We hear the truth, live in the truth. And the only way we're going to stay in that place is let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us, just like he's telling the disciples, no different for us today. Now, he also says that what the Spirit hears, He will speak. So we're going to see several instances that it is talking about the Trinity here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They always work together, never against themselves. And they work in that unison, and Jesus speaks of it a lot. I don't know how people read the Bible and don't say, I don't see the Trinity in there, but I've heard that over and over again. So... The latter part of that verse, he will show you things to come. Now, how many people today are interested when we live in this world and we see things happening, we're interested in knowing, well, what's, what's going to be next down the road? What does this mean? In fact, some things really shouldn't surprise us because we know these things the Bible speaks of are going to come to pass. Of course, when we get into the book of Revelation, we see the, the things that are, are, that are to come. Verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So the Spirit, once again, working with Jesus, with Christ, will glorify Christ. Once again, the unity there, the Trinity. Verse 15, all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. So nothing is hid uh, from in the Trinity. Nothing Christ tries to hide from the disciples, and he certainly doesn't try to hide anything from us. If we will study the Word of God, we will see the truth in the Word of God. All right, John chapter 16, verse uh, number 16. A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. So he's speaking of just a little while now, things are going to change. We know that. Christ, when he says, you shall not see me, he's going to go away, isn't he? He's going to be crucified. He's going to rise again. He's going to go back to the Father. So he promises them in a little while, yeah, you're not going to see me. You're, not, you're going to look for me. You'll not find me, and you won't see me. But then you'll see me again in a little while. After the resurrection, you'll see me. 
So this refers to that the Holy Spirit will reveal Christ to them and Christ will return again. We saw that back in, in chapter 14. All this was possible because Christ was returning to the Father. So he's trying to explain this to the disciples. Verse 17, 18, let's put those together. Then said some of the disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. And because I go to the Father. And they said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. So the disciples are confused. Remember what he said in our first verse this morning? that he says, there are some things that I have to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. So they really couldn't understand all the things that were going to take place in order, but Jesus is saying, you're going to find it out, you're going to see it, and it's going to be in just a little while. Verse 19, now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, do you inquire among yourselves of that I said, a little while, and you shall not see me again, and again a little while, and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. So what is Christ saying? He's explaining to them, the disciples are going to see him hang on the cross, and they're going to weep. They're going to see him die. They're going, to, they're going to lament. They're going to weep. They're going to be so upset to see this Jesus die on a cross. But he says, the world, remember that crowd that crucify him, crucify him. They're going to rejoice. Man, we finally got rid of this guy. He's finally gone. Thank goodness. We're finished with Christ. But then the sorrow of the disciples will be turned into joy after the resurrection. So the coming of the Holy Spirit will come. The return of Christ will come. Boy, there's three things there that are really exciting things that are going to happen. Christ will be resurrected. He will tell them to go and wait for the promise. The Holy Spirit will come down on them. And then they can look forward to the return of Christ. Jesus says, I will go away, prepare a place, and then I will come again. So Jesus has given them some wonderful news to go along with what they are going to experience when they see, of course, the, the death of Christ on the, on the cross. Now, he uses a great example here in verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. An example, of course, of the pain of childbirth. We all have seen and the women have experienced this, this childbirth pain, but then that child is delivered and the joy. When that child comes forth and lays it there on the mother's chest and she looks down and she forgets all about that pain for a while and says, boy, look, look at what a miracle has happened here. A great a birth has taken place. So Christ, using that illustration, is talking about in the future the experience of the disciples. They're going to see the death, but they're also going to see the resurrection of Christ.
Verse 22, And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. I love that latter part of that verse, and it's important. I will see you again, he says. That, that refers to both the resurrection, that refers to the Spirit coming, and the permanent indwelling of the Spirit is going to do what? Going to bring that permanent joy. Now listen, we experience things in life that bring sadness to us, no doubt about that. We experience lost loved ones, we experience pain in our own bodies, we experience things that happens in our family. All those things happen to us, but listen, with the Holy Spirit on the inside, we actually have permanent joy. We can reach down and, 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 and realize that, hey, I still have that joy in my life. I may be going through this, but I'm not going through it alone. Christ is with me. The Holy Spirit's helping me and leading me and guiding me, and I can rely upon him. Verse 23, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So the day will come when it is impossible for the disciples to run up to Christ and say, hey, Christ, listen, there's a man down here that needs help. There's a woman over here that, that has a, a health problem. There's, there's something else going on that I just wanted to come and talk to you in person, Christ. And he's saying, you know what? Very soon there's going to be that day when you're not going to be able to run up to me like that because I, I will be gone. I'll be going back to the Father. But he says this, however... When you get those needs come into your life, he says, then request the Father in Christ's name, and he will give it to you. No wonder we pray today, our prayers, Christ, we pray to him in Jesus' name. And the prayers of the Christian must be made to the Father in the name of the Son. That's what he's saying here that we can ask these things in his name and he will give it to you. So it's important that we do that. When we do that, and I'll talk a little bit more about really what's happening. It's not that uh, Christ is saying that uh, we can't pray to God, but there, there's kind of a, a period of time in history from the Old Testament to the New Testament, how things changed along the way. And us always remembering we have to rely upon the finished work of Christ on Calvary. And when we say in Jesus' name, we're, we're reminding God the Father, hey, I accept the work that Christ did, the completed work for me on the cross. So verse 24 says, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. So you remember back in the Old Testament how the priest would, they would go to the priest, the priest and the prophets, and they would listen, they would get a word from God. And that's how the communication was really, was really done. But as Danny taught not too long ago, when Christ died and that veil was rent in twain, that made a difference how we come to the Lord. And the finished work of Christ, now you and I, we don't have to go find somebody with their collar turned around backwards. We can come to Christ ourselves, amen. We can pray anytime, anywhere. 
and we can call upon the name of the Lord. So it is very important that we pray on the merits of the finished work of Christ. That's how we can do that. And note the order there in that verse, ask. You know, I want to pause there just for a minute because I think a lot of times, even us as Christians, we don't even get past that first part. We may be settled back thinking, well, you know, God knows everything. The Lord knows that all my needs. So what's the need for me? I mean, he already knows it. So let's just wait on him to answer it. You remember when you as a child or you had children and they would come walking in the room and stand there and look at you and you'd say, well, I know they want something. And so you're waiting to see what they want. And finally, when they don't say anything, you say, do you need something? I mean, what's going on? Well, you know, no, I don't know. I need you to tell me what you want me to, you know, to do here. What, what, is it, what are you asking? Well, can I? So, see, that's the same way it is with us and the Lord. The Lord knows our needs, but He does want us to ask Him. He does want us to petition Him, and that's why He put that in there. When we ask, then we will receive, and then our joy may be full. So, that order always works with Christ, and we need to continue that in our life. Verse 25, these things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall speak no more, or shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I will show you plainly of the Father. And believe it or not, that time is coming right here in the next verse, and they're going to recognize that. Now, what does he mean in Proverbs? And the best illustration that I thought of to think that we could think of, because what that means is it is a veiled saying. Now, we just came through COVID where everybody, and we're still dealing with that, but people wear masks on their face. And you remember when we had those masks, you couldn't tell if a person was grinning at you, smiling, or sticking their tongue out at you because they had that mask on. It was like a veiled thing. We could see their eyes, try to read what their eyes maybe were saying, but we really couldn't understand a lot of their expressions. And Christ, what he's doing here, he's kind of speaking in that veiled sayings to the disciples. He's not really plainly coming out with exactly the things that they need to hear, but he is going to do that. But he's easing into that uh, thing here. And, and, and just like we had already said, the disciples would not understand a lot of the things. But you know, when the Spirit came, Christ would reveal the Father plainly. And it says there. So, and, and we know that happened because as we read the epistles later on in the New Testament, you read those epistles, you can no doubt see how the Holy Spirit influenced these guys to pin down these words. The Bible tells us that. So they got it plainly. They, they knew exactly what Christ wanted to say. Verse 26, At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you because he hath loved me and hath believed that I am come out from God. 
Now, prayer was made in Christ's name, and I've already talked about this just a little bit, but this is what I wanted to say about it here. Because I kind of had that understanding maybe that we had to pray in Jesus' name and Christ had to convince the Father to answer the prayer. But really, that, that, that wasn't, that's not the case at all. He doesn't have to convince the Father that the child of God is down there praying something. But we are to pray in Jesus' name, just like I said, because we believe on the merits of the finished work of Christ. But the Father's going to answer the prayers because we are Christ's disciples. We are children of God. He wants to answer the prayers because we belong to Christ. So, but we are still to, to pray in Christ's name, but there's no convincing there to the Father. The Father's going to answer, and that's what that verse says. Father loveth himself, loveth you, because he loved me. Verse 28, I came forth from the Father, and I am coming to the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. Here is the entire purpose of christ really in that verse lets us know what he did his eternity he came from the father his humiliation he came down to earth born in a lowly manger died on a rugged cross for you and for me and then he was exalted after resurrection he went back to the father so it's all uh, in that verse 28, exactly what he did. Now, notice here, his disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Remember? Before, it was that veiled saying, that veiled proverb, that, that I, I'm, I'm listening to you, Christ, but I, I don't really quite get exactly what you're saying. So now Christ is stepping back, and he's saying, you know what? We're going to talk plainly here. We're, I'm going to tell you exactly how it is. So that's what he's doing here. Verse 30, now are we sure that thou knowest all things and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. It's like their eyes are being opened. Their ears are really being able to hear. The disciples are now realizing Christ is speaking to them openly, and they realize that Christ knows all things and that he's revealing all things unto them. And, you know, because quite, they've had a lot of questions in John here. A lot of times, they, they, they well, I, you know, they, we would talk about certain ones that would speak up. Well, I don't know this. I don't understand this. How are you saying this? What does this mean? So here they are with a conclusion and their faith is that, hey, you have come from God. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So they are thrilled with these revelations. The disciples are quickly reminded that there's going to come a time when you're going to scatter. And the Bible says that, doesn't it? They all forsook him and fled when that time came. But thank goodness they came back to what they were supposed to do. But he says here that 
Christ would not would be alone. That means his disciples would leave him, but really he would not be alone, would he? The Father would be with him. You know, it reminds me of our life today. There are times when we get to certain points in our life where we feel really alone. There's really no one around us to help us at a particular time or to say some encouraging words or to, uh, just something to pick us up. And what do we have to do? We have to step back, open up the Word of God, listen to the Holy Spirit and realize, hey, we are not alone. But that Comforter is there for us. Christ is always there with us and we can rely upon Him and we get through those situations by doing that. Verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's an encouraging verse for a Christian right there. Because he says, In me ye will have peace. They had peace in Christ, but in the world, what happens? They have tribulation. But then he steps back and says, be of good cheer. That means be courageous, be encouraged. Even though they would be opposed by the world, they need to remember that Christ had overcome the world. And you know, we have to remind ourselves of that. We live in this old world and we see things happening we see things going down. We see things going crazy. We see things we've never seen before. And boy, if we dwell on the world, we can get real discouraged. I'll tell you, when I watch the news, I can get discouraged. <laughs> I mean, I like to be informed of what's going on, but man, it, it, I need a pick-me-up after that, brother. <laughs> but, you know, that's what he's saying here. When we see these things happening in the world, be encouraged of this fact. He's already overcame the world. That's been taken care of. That old song we used to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's still true. And he does. He's holding it in place. All right, let's move on to chapter 17. Now, this chapter is actually a prayer chapter. And you'll notice it right from the beginning because what Christ is doing is he's stopping with his eye-to-eye -eye contact with the disciples and he's actually lifting his head towards heaven. He's actually saying, you know, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you guys right now. I'm, I'm going to say a prayer that's going to help. And in this prayer are the encouraging words that they need to hear. So it's a prayer for Christ. It's a prayer, a prayer of Christ for his disciples. And in many aspects, it's almost a model prayer for the Christian. As we go through that, kind of keep that in mind. Chapter 17, these words spake Jesus, and here we see it. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. So he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and that was a, a practice in that day when one prayed, I like it today, when I like to lift my eyes up towards heaven many times. You know, there are times, yes, I like to kneel down, I like to, I like to pray, I like to get down close to the floor and pray, but there are times when I just like to stand and lift my, my face towards heaven. And Christ did this. He's addressing the Father. And He's using this term six times in His prayer of the hour. 
And I want you to understand the hour, and we've talked about that. We know the hour of his crucifixion is coming up. But really, I think he's enclosing within that hour there, he's also enclosing some things that are happening here. The moment of crisis had come, Christ would end his earthly ministry. He would glorify thy son. The hour that Christ was referring to not only was the hour of death, but the hour of resurrection, the hour of going back to heaven, all that enclosed in that time frame has come. So we're not talking about 60 minutes. We're talking about this particular time, this hour of time, and all of it's going to take place here. Verse 2, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So don't forget, it's, it's a prayer here. You could tell in the wording that it's a prayer going on. Christ has been giving power, that means authority, over all mankind. And that authority extends to eternal life. You remember when he got questioned in his earthly ministry, when he uh, would go and heal somebody or touch somebody, and he said, thy sins be forgiven me, and they got all upset. Who in the world can forgive sins except God only? So that authority we could see in Christ, what he was able to do. He was not only able to heal, but he could say, Thy sins have been forgiven thee. He could turn to the man on the, on the one side of him on the cross and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's telling him, hey, I'm giving you eternal life here. That's the kind of power, that's the kind of authority that he had. So he was able to do these things. He said in those verses, As many as thou hast given. So not only has he, the disciples been given to him, and he's going to commission them. They're going to do the work of Christ. But all flesh whom God hath given to Christ. Eternal life is a true knowledge of both God and Jesus Christ. That's why whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't get to go out here and pick out, say, well, man, I like you so you can have eternal life. I like you. I'll tell you about Jesus and maybe you'll get saved. I like you, maybe you'll be in heaven with me one day. But I don't care anything about you. Christ died for that one too. So we need to realize here that all of this has been given to Christ. We just need to carry out the commission. Verse number four. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So Jesus definitely did exactly what he his father wanted to do. You remember he would say, not my father's will, but not my will, but thy will be done. So Christ had brought glory to the father. He had fulfilled his will. He had completed his task. And so Christ views his death as having been completed. Completed. He is so certain and so sure of his atonement that he can speak as if it has already been completed. At this point, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. 
At this point, he hadn't gone to the grave yet. But he can speak because he knows that's going to take place. That's going to be completed. It's going to happen. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I have with thee before the world was. Christ again asked the Father to glorify him. He desires that glory which he had with him before he came back to the earth here. And he laid aside that and he redeemed mankind. Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So when Christ says manifested here, he is made known. It's been made known. The Father's name to those who follow him. These disciples have been given been given to Christ by the Father. You remember he talked a while back about they had been chosen ones. So the results of Christ's revelation of the Father is they have kept the word. You know what a great evidence of a Christian is? Is that they are obedient to the word of God. Someone can tell me they're a Christian, but they if they never read God's word and they never obey it, they don't live by it, then it doesn't add up to me. So that's what he is saying here. Verse number 7, Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So the disciples had come to this understanding that all things, that means the message that he's been telling them, that means the commission that he's going to give them, all these things are of Christ, which Christ ultimately got from the Father. So Christ was faithful in giving the Father's words to the disciples. The disciples accepted the message and they obtained that twofold knowledge. They understood that Christ had come from God and that God had sent him. And we that, that knowledge is very important to, for a person to understand today, that God sent his son. John 3.16 tells us that. And Jesus died for us. So it is a, it is a twofold knowledge that we need to understand. Verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which, has, which thou hast given me, for they are thine. I can see the disciples as he's praying this prayer. They're probably nodding their head up and down and saying, oh, this sounds good. <laughs> this, this is great. I pray for them. Christ's concern was for his own. Do you think he's still concerned about you and me today? Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, that's doing what? Making intercession for us. Boy, aren't you glad we got somebody making intercession for you and me? Because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's trying to his best to ruin our lives. But then Christ steps forward and says, that one's mine. And I'm claiming that one. 
And I'm making intercession for that one. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So it's very important that we realize what Christ is doing for you and me every day, on an everyday basis. So, you know, and I read that verse, and I don't want you to be confused about what it's saying in verse 9. I pray not for the world. Does that mean that Christ is not concerned about the world at all? Does that mean that he's, he's only concerned with people that are giving their life to him? That he doesn't, he doesn't want, uh, isn't con- concerned over them? No. That does not mean that. In fact, Luke 23, 34, which is going to happen not too far down the road here, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. That's right there at the cross. And yet, Christ could have looked down on them and said, Y'all are condemned. Y'all are lost forever. I don't care anything about you. Look at what you've done to me. But he stopped and said, Father, forgive them. But they don't even understand what they're doing. That's the kind of love that he has for you and me and for the world. So his prayer is for sanctification and glorification and protection to those like you and me that have given our life to Christ. We need to be sanctified. We need to be glorified. We need to be have that protection. We already belong to Him, and He prays for us in that respect. Those type of things, that's not what the unsaved person needs right now. Unsaved person just needs to know Jesus now, and then those things will come along down the road here. Verse 10, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. So Christ is praying to the Father in behalf of the disciples. He's confident that his prayers will be answered since the disciples belong to the Father as well as to the Son. Let's do one more verse. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I am come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. So Christ again is speaking as if his death has already taken place. And it's getting ready to. But he's confident that, of course, is going to take place. And that word keep here means keep watch over them. These disciples keep watch over them. And he says, guard them, preserve them. And then Christ prays for the Father to stand guard over the the disciples in the wicked world that they live in. Boy, I'm glad that he stands guard over us in the world we live in today. Why? That they may be as one. And I don't think that means that Christ wants all the denominations in the world. You know, there are so many denominations. He's not interested in denominations anyway. So it's not about all of us becoming one denomination, but it's all of us standing together as a body of Christ, fighting against the wicked one, serving Jesus, reaching others, 
and staying united together in this wicked world. Well, good prayer that's going on here uh, that Jesus is praying. And so we'll stop here this morning. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.